Welcome to episode 30 of the God's Own Scale podcast where big things come in small packages. Uh, I was very sad to hear of the passing of the Welsh wizard, Mike Hobbs. Uh, the news announced by his partner in crime, Neil Shuck, on Twitter this morning of his sudden passing yesterday. I send out my heartfelt condolences to his close friends, family and the wider wargaming community. He will be missed as one of the great modern personalities of the hobby. Rest in peace, Mark. Mademoiselle from all right, chance. Okay, welcome to episode 30 of God's Own Scale Podcast 30. Um, I keep saying these numbers uh, seem to be getting out of control, but 30, hitting the 30s. I can remember my 30th birthday, actually. It was one of the most depressing days of my life. Um, but hopefully... Uh, episode 30 of the podcast won't be depressing because um, this is another first for the podcast because I've got uh, two brothers on to talk hobby, um, six mil gaming and life in general. I've got uh, James from Wick with me. Hi, James. How are you? Hi, Sean. Yeah, all good. Thank you. Good evening to you. Good. Uh, and I've got Matt Hunwick. Hi, Matt. How are you? Hi, Sean. Yeah, good. Thanks. And I'm just glad we're not doing this conversation via uh, two tin cans and a piece of string, because you're some distance away from me, aren't you both, in, uh, in Felixstowe? Yes. Yeah, it'd be I'm, a, I'm not sure I've ever been to. It'd be a seriously long piece of string. It would. <laughs> what, what's Felixstowe famous for? It's port, mainly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's got a good fort, though, Langard Fort, so... Um, okay. Uh, that's worth a trip. If ever you're down this way, we'll uh, we'll take you down there and show you around. Oh, definitely. That sounds interesting. Yeah, um, I I must have been to Felix so actually uh, at some point. I'm sure when when I've been crossing to the continent at some point. Um, okay, so as is uh, traditional for two new people onto the podcast, uh, it's about getting to know who James and who Matt is from a hobby perspective. So I wonder, James, and, and I'm sure, actually, because you're brothers, you're going to have a very similar uh, hobby background, um, <laughs> unless you one of you is only into World War II and the other is into Napoleonics and you never spoke during your childhood. Um, <laughs> uh, so perhaps uh, I'll ask James to start and then Matt, uh, you know, you can probably pick up and just give us an idea of what war, the early years of wargaming in the Hunwick family was like. Mm. Yeah, uh, of course, no problem. Uh, well, for, for, for me, Sean, um, I suppose my love of playing soldiers started from a very early age. I had, like most of us, I had plastic airfix soldiers that I played at home. And um, this sounds really corny, but Matt and I both played with those soldiers and we, we used to set up dioramas in the house on the on the carpet and uh we had little guns firing matches and things and we used to do things like that um but i i suppose my first entry into uh the gaming world was probably when i was about 12 13 um 
when I started getting into to Warhammer Games Workshop, like a lot of us, and actually the that was only for a very short period of time. But the one element of that that uh, really hooked me, indeed, was Epic. And um, obviously, if anyone has played uh, Epic, uh, it was in effect six mil. Uh, so obviously, there's a little connection here. Um, so. I, that really hooked me, and and uh, we really enjoy playing that. But my first kind of exposure to war games was actually through um, fencing that I used to do as a hobby at school. And uh, one of the guys that I fenced with was involved in this war games club. Go along and give it a look. And uh, I went down to the local scout hall, and uh, there were lots of games going on, but mainly Heroics and Ross back then. Six millimeter already was uh, the big focus in, in the club then. And they were playing things like American Civil War, Seven Years War and uh, World, World War II. And uh, rules such as uh, Firefly and Newbury became the normal. And um, I very quickly moved away from Games Workshop into those kind of areas. Um, Indeed, I, I, I do remember us playing an all-day game in 2000, even back then, and this was a long time ago, probably 35 years ago, um, where we had about 40 people playing, and that, that really kind of hooked me into the smaller scales, I think, at a very early age. Um, then, as is often the case with clubs, uh, they moved venues on various occasions, and eventually we had a kind of a breakup. Uh, the club split and went in different directions. And I think it was around that time, um, probably that Matt and I got more into gaming together. And we kind of, there was a bit of a hiatus where there was there was no venues. And um, eventually, after about eight months, five of us got together and decided we were going to have a gaming night each week um, at a venue or in each other's homes. And that kind of continued ever since and we've probably been doing that now for I would say 9, 10, 15 years. Um, we've got access to a very good venue at, at the port actually, uh, the Seafarers Centre. Very kindly we use a room upstairs there whenever we want for a small donation so that's a real godsend for us because it allows us to put on bigger games that we can't do in our own homes. Um, but I think since we've started doing that, we've probably been to many more shows, um, certainly into the last year, 18 months anyway. Um, and as I've got older, I've got more into painting. And, and, and probably my, my war games tastes have changed slightly, although I'm, I'm very much a, a war gamer at heart. Um, I've also got very much into war board games as well, um, strategy games and things like that. So... Frequently uh, on Board Game Geek and uh, YouTube, searching out. I've got a lot to answer for both of those sites, um, and, and and kind of costing me an awful lot of money. But um, <laughs> I think I think because of the pressures on time, I, I think I've found some of the the mechanics in, in games. You know, you can get them out of the box and play them straight away. It just saves you so much time, and and that's been a real attraction for me. But the smaller scales certainly have always been there from a very early age, and I, I think there is something about the grand scale in terms of looking at, um, you know, the grand tactical view on the battlefield and seeing that on the war games table, and that that's just sort of continued. Um, 
I think I could probably say for both of us actually, but uh, I'll let Matt do the talking next because uh, I'm sure he's got some some other things to add to that. Um, yeah, there, there's obviously a lot of crossover, um, understandably, uh, with us. But I say I think my first recollection, other than the playing with soldiers and building Lego forts for those soldiers to go into, um, that was my first taste of scenery. I would say is uh, Lego forts. Um, um, but the scenery element will probably stick um, continue throughout my story because I would say that I'm very much I like the aesthetics of a war game. Um, you know, as much as I like painting figures and, and making them look nice, I also like the the ground and everything else to be perfect um, as it was historically. So I'm very much the modeler side of things. I would call myself. Um, but again, um, likewise, I remember the day James came back with these six mil tanks and we had a game on the dining room table of just moving them around and that was my first opening to historical war game um, that is vivid to my memory. But again, that was about 30-odd, just over 30 years ago. Um, and I eventually got invited after a couple of years down to the war games uh, club once James allowed me in there and I wasn't going to embarrass him too much. <laughs> Um, and they were still doing the six mil World War Two, and I think the first show I ever went to was Salute, which was a, an eye opener. You know, start big. Um, yeah, would that have been at the Kensington Town Hall back then, or has it moved to Olympia by then? No, it was the Town Hall. Um, yeah. And I remember it vividly that we spent most of the time um, at the stand for six mil World War Two. But I can always recall there was a twenty eight mil Wilkes Drift. Uh, ongoing and there was uh, sound being played every time the Zulus attacked and things like that and that just literally hooked me in the whole aesthetics of it um, and to say I, I remember it vividly and you know we've talked about some of the show games we've done about getting sound in I just think it it brings it all alive um, so yeah um, and then like similarly like uh, you hear a lot of the times I sort of had a hiatus to it really um, there was about a five, six year period where I stepped away from wargaming and stupidly um, sold my stuff that I had. Fortunately, that was to the guys in the club, so it, it was still hanging around when I came back again. Um, but I concentrated on, on my sport and things like that, which I, I play cricket to a fairly high standard, so I, I couldn't do both um, just for a time, so I concentrated on that. But again, eventually worked my way back to it again. The draw was just too much to start modelling, start painting. Um, and I'll say got back into it and like James said it's really just gone on to an obsession ever since um, you know I started small I've now got a second loft in the house just that has war game stuff in it <laughs> a second loft yeah first I've heard of one of them yeah well when we had our extension built um, there was talk about us knocking our loft through so we had one giant one but I was very keen to have a separate one just so that I could house all the war games um, larger scenery in there. So um, I have another room, fortunately, as well. <laughs> um, so, I'm, so the wife is uh, quite forgiving from that viewpoint, um, allowing me to have every nook and cranny uh, in the house to, to hold this stuff. But yeah, um, literally, it's just become an obsession from now on. And again, six mil is the key one for me because you can do that large battle, which gives you that aesthetic. Um, you know, as much as I do do 28 mil, and you know, we're currently working on some World of Roads stuff for 28 mil. 
again, it's only small scale. I, I just don't think you can realistically do a big battle with those larger figures. You, you need, you'd need a grand uh, table that's massive. Um, so you just don't get the same feeling as you do with six mil or ten. Yeah, that, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I'm sure both of you will be aware of uh, a great new podcast that has come out um, from the Yorkshire gamer, uh, Ken Riley. Um, and he, he'd probably disagree that you can't do the big battles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's each each. Each to their own taste, I think, isn't it? And, yeah, very much so. How you, how you visualise those games. Obviously, I come at it from the same perspective as yourself, uh, from the 6 mil perspective, and, and that grand sweeping vista that you can create in 6 mil. But I think you, you do need tables that are 24 foot long to be able to do it in in uh, the larger scales. Um, so uh, I'm definitely with you on that, but uh, it's a great podcast. Uh, anybody listening, uh, go and have a listen after you've listened to this one. Um, so one thing I just picked up on there, James, actually, was uh, your first taste of 6 mil was actually epic uh, from Games Workshop. Um, and th that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think people tend to not count that as 6 mil gaming, really. But in actual fact, it was probably a lot of people's first exp um, exposure to smaller scale, wasn't it? Yeah, I, 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 th I think it was. And um, I'm, I'm aware, actually, from a from a, um, the old Meeples and Minutes podcast, which you may remember, that Mike Hobbs was a very big advocate of um, the epic. And, and I believe, actually, that there's still a very big following for it, even though it's out of print and not available. Um, and, and I do wonder whether a lot of people, certainly from my kind of generation, have moved into smaller scale wargaming off the back of that because it, 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 there were a lot of similarities. Uh, obviously, the, the game was very different and the mechanics were very different, but, but ultimately you still had that Grand Vista kind of view that you didn't get in other games, workshop games. And I, and I think there was obviously something there that certainly hooked, hooked you in directly from a from a very early age um so yeah yeah i, I think i think it's a game it's a, it's a shame it hasn't come back into print because i think it actually would be a really good game for us to hook the younger generation into wargaming indirectly now uh certainly into into the scales that we like playing um but not at the moment obviously no no was that something you played as well matt or, or not so much yeah yeah no we we often had a battle i, I think i was um space hawks if i remember rightly i had a had a large army of of that but again for me it just shows what's possible with plastic um and you can go down to that that scale and i'm, I'm surprised we haven't seen a vast number of plastic in six mil you know Obviously, I, I know Warlord have come out with their version of Epic, um, but we won't go any further than that. But, you know, it's that's doubled the scale in theory. So um, I'm surprised we haven't got there. Yeah. 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 And I think it will come. I think I think a lot of it perhaps to do uh, is, is with the costs. Uh, we know the, the costs of plastic mold production. Um, but uh, as you've mentioned, Warlord of of taking that plunge into whatever scale that game is that they play, uh, they produce the Epic, whether it's 10 mil, whether it's 13 mil or whatever. Um, but Epic's an interesting one. And I have a feeling at some point in the future, I'll be doing an episode 
uh, around science fiction and fantasy six mil gaming. There's been a couple of requests, certainly for that, um, of listeners. Um, and I've always thought that Epic is the only scale that you should play the 40k universe in because uh, at my club there's a, a strong following of 40k, but it tends to be that almost Flames of War thing where you've got tanks sort of butted up against one another, these massive things on a 6 by 4 table, and it just looks completely out of scale. Whereas uh, if you read any of the background to it, it's about these huge battles with dozens and dozens of tanks and thousands of infantry, which is perfect for the epic scale, isn't it, for the 6 mil scale to convey that uh, that look. But, um, yeah, I've got, I've got a friend with a huge collection of epic, actually, so I might rope him in to come and talk about it at some point in the future. So... Um, where was your local club then? It was in it was in Felixstowe. Uh, it was it was at um, it was at and I, well it was in as it is for a lot of war games clubs historically it was in a scout hall um, initially and then um, as I say then we when we when we sort of when the club broke up disintegrated so to speak uh, we ended up basing ourselves um, from our local seafarers mission which is the port. At, at Felixstowe, and um, we, although we don't go there as much, obviously, we generally support it go once a month uh, in normal gaming times. Um, and the great thing is there that we've got a we've got a really good facility with lots of space. Uh, we're left completely alone. The only the only drawback is we have to bring everything to it and take everything back with us every time. So that, that that's the only drawback. But other than that, you know, it's it's pretty much on our doorstep. You know, five minutes in the car, so it's it's perfect from that point of view. It works really well. Uh, and is that somewhere where you can have weekend games, or is it just midweek nights? Or no, they're very flexible. You know, we've had we've had games there on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, you know, there's no problem with that. I, as a, as a charity, I think they're just happy to have some people using their facilities. Like all charities, you know, they're struggling financially and. They're just glad. They're glad to have some use of their facilities and, and make make a little bit of money from donations. So it it works really well for us, um, and and has done for a long time. We've been going in and out of there. How long do you reckon, Matt? Five, ten years now, maybe. Yeah, I reckon good ten because we used to use the uh, what they called a welcome hall in in Felixstowe um, before that, um, which again was was just a, a donation that we used to do for, for all day games that we used to hold there or Friday night game. We used to have a small room round round the back that we used to use every Friday. So um, we tend to try to find the available space wherever it is because, again, we don't all live in uh, massive palaces, unfortunately. So, um, you know, we haven't got we haven't got designated war games rooms or anything like that. It, it is dining room table stuff. So... Not all of us have got two lofts, have we? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I wasn't. I wasn't allowed to convert it to a room. That was my 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 wish. But uh... never mind. Maybe next time. Exactly. That's the reason why I've. That's the reason, Sean, why I've always avoided making terrain because I know Matt's got a big loft and he can put it in his. <laughs> <laughs> well, it must be very useful to have a brother who who enjoys making terrain. It is. Is. It yeah, is. It is. Yeah. He's definitely the modeler of the club, aren't he, Matt? <laughs> I try. <laughs> you try. Um, so, uh, how, how many members do you have at the, at the uh, group that you uh, go to now? Uh, it's only uh, four stroke five, but four generally. Right. We we, we do. Um, Matt's 
uh, brother-in-law has been historically, but you know, family life has got in the way. So I'm not sure whether he'll he'll come back into it at a later date or not. But um, we've got four full-time members, so uh, obviously Matt and myself, and then uh, Nick and Mike as well, who are both local. Who we've been going with for many years, so it's only a small little group, but we, we kind of like it that way. It, it for us, um, it's a bit harder when we're doing um, games at shows, for example. Um, you know, it puts a little bit more pressure on because there's less of us to get the work done in preparation. But um, you know, and and, and also sometimes, uh, as I'm sure you everyone can can acknowledge when you're playing the same people week in week out, you tend to know what each other's going to do all the time. So. <laughs> um, certainly, we, we won't even get into dice rolling because that's a totally different issue. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> you, men you mentioned something about dice rolling, James, in the in the communications we're having about this, and I, I get the feeling Matt might hold all the luck. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Matt answer that I, 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 I would like to think it's tactics and skill, but I'm I'm led to believe by the rest of the the club that it's actually lucky. And I must admit, <laughs> on the uh, my YouTube uh, call sign, not that I have a channel, but when I log into YouTube, um, I've actually called myself all the sixes for that very reason. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I have to say, Matt, James didn't mention anything about skill or tactics. It's it just that, that ability to get the six when you need it, I think. I'm, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. I'm, still, I'm still hunting that elusive war game where rolling a one is the best score. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> somebody should invent that, shouldn't they? I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. To, be, to be fair, they've even they've even tried games where there's no dice rolling and it's like picking chips out of bags and such. But but it seems to still work for me. So there must be something yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> I take it you've sold your soul to the devil at some point down the road. <laughs> I must have. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned there about shows. Then, so are, are you regular attenders at shows? We try to be, don't we? Um, certainly Partizan uh, and Hammerhead have been our sort of stalwart shows that we've been going to in recent years. Um, and so in the past, I mean, uh, as Matt adhered to earlier, we, we did do Salute, although we stopped going to that one more for financial reasons, sort of probably about 10 years ago. But we used to go to shows like Rampage. I don't know if you remember that one at Ilford. Um Broadsword at Loughton, I think there was one there as well. And there, there used to be some local-ish ones for us in Colchester and Norwich as well, but subsequently, they've, as a number of them have, have, have disappeared. But um, Derby, Derby was another one we used to go to quite a lot. Um, you know, Newark was, was obviously a quite a good venue for us as well. So, yeah, uh, I'd say Zan Hammerhead have been probably in more recent years the ones that we've tended to, to go to. We haven't got to Joy of Six yet. Very much on our on our list of things to do. Um, but obviously, it's a fair drive from Felixstowe to Sheffield, so we have to plan that one. I think I'd have to be a weekend away that one actually. Yeah, it'd have to be an overnight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Newark, Newark must be quite a jaunt. Is it from Felixstowe? Yeah, it's about three hours each um, yeah. way, so it's a long day. But uh, I mean, when we when when we did um, we did a demonstration game there a couple of years back. Uh, we went up the night before, uh, but but when we're going, we we generally do do it in a day. Um, you know, it's a long day, but it's worth it. It's it's a great show. So, uh, yeah. I, I must have I must have uh, met one or other of you then, because I've, uh, it's very rare that I miss one of the parties on shows. So, what games were you taking? What to parties on? 
Um, we did a Sudan six millimeter game. Um, was it twenty eighteen, Matt? Twenty nineteen? Yeah, uh, yeah. twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen. I think. Yeah, that was at the other Partisan because um, we were very conscious with Partisan that there isn't much in the smaller scales. No, there isn't. No. Um, you know, they're beautiful games. They all are fantastic games, but we wanted to try and buck the trend a little bit and uh, take the smaller scales. And it, and it, and it you know, it did get a, a good degree of interest. Um, but um, yeah, prior to that, we hadn't done any for a few years. Again, just down to times and, and, and number, really, uh, work commitments and everything. But, um, it's you know, we've we've been planning a, a Seven Pines game to take to Partizan for a couple of years now. Well, obviously that got kiboshed last year, but that's still in the planning. So um, we're hoping at some point, maybe next year, that um, we might be able to get that one uh, to the show and, and demonstrate that one as well, which would be good. Yeah, I mean, we're, I think everyone's crossing their fingers that the October Partizan will be uh, going ahead. Uh, that's the sort of new dates that they moved to, wasn't it? I think, and sort of filled that void that Octo- uh, that Derby left in October when the Derby show uh, disappeared. Um, but uh, yeah, whether whether that goes ahead will remain to be seen. I'm sure. And the Joy Six obviously is is the mecca of the six mil game. So uh, it'd be great to see you up there next year if um, if you're able to get up there with the game. Um, so Seven Pines then, so American Civil War, which is right up my alley. Um, Matt, uh, have you uh, have you been building scenery for that or doing the train? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> that sounds like a resigned. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it was because I I, 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 yes, exactly. I um I was fortunate that I picked up a a, a load um off eBay and um just uh, played around with them to. to to obviously work out how I can actually do it with allowing troops still to move through and um, just to show it still, you know, in a demonstration game, you, you just can't obviously take them off the board and say they're in the wood or anything like that. You've got to find some way. So it's trying to work out how to make a six mil game uh, visible to the passerby. So it, it draws them in. So, um, yeah, so um, there's a particular on Seven Pines, um there is a element that the union have a, a hot air balloon. Um, so um, I kindly got Dan Hodgson to uh, paint my air balloon for me. So, um, and my plan is to actually have it so you can actually hoist it up and actually fit a camera to it, so you can actually look over the the battleground. Oh my goodness! Wow. <laughs> um, That's not so, something special. Yeah. So um, the concept works i say and i've got the camera to fit onto it it's just whether in practice it works but again um because obviously it was all um kiboshed it's sort of gone on the back burner at the moment um yeah. but it's fundamentally all here it's just a few things to iron out and we just need to play test it just to make sure we um it all looks but yeah i've done the odd um barricades and things made up you know it's about going to the infantry degree of having like the odd Joe public walking around the, the battlefield as well. Um, barrels, you know, um, boxes. The, you've got the railway coming right through the whole of the um, battlefield as well. So I wanted to make sure that was a visual part of it. So, um, so again, got a train to go um, on, on there. Stations. You know, it's just those aesthetics that has a, a battle fighting around it. So it actually um, isn't just about sticking 
the actual figures on the table. It's about all the other stuff. I, th I think with um, one of the ironies of demonstration games is that you can have thousands of beautifully painted figures, but the bystander's attention is usually drawn to some small diorama off to the side, isn't it, which might be um, a photographer or, uh, as you've said, some civilians on, on a railway station or something. Um, so it's those, I think it's those things that have that bit of interest, isn't it? I think I mentioned this on Twitter, actually, uh, last week, that all those barrels and sacks and bits of barricades and uh, an interesting building or something, uh, are really what draw that attention. Never mind how well you painted two thousand six mil figures. Um, somebody will always be drawn to that something else that's just on the side. It's got nothing to do with the game, other than the look of it, isn't it? Well, invariably, that's me at a show. Uh, when I go around and look at the show games, I very rarely ever look at the figures that have been painted. I'm looking at the scenery and what, the, how they made that. How you know that look that's really painted. So. I'm looking at that and thinking, well, that's what I'm like. I'm sure there's going to be a percentage of people out there the same. And how do you actually do that in six mil when it is so small to the naked eye? Like one of the things that we did for our show game at the other part of Sam was that we elevated the table. So it was more towards eye line. So actually um, we raised it up off the off the normal table so that people weren't bending right down to, to have a look at stuff. It was more so they can actually see over the, the battlefield and, and get a real true picture on the elevation and the sways in, in the land. So again, it's going a different concept this time with the hot air balloon of, of looking down over it rather than above it. But we've also talked about using, you know, see if we could build one of these big long periscopes that we could attach to the side of the table and people can look down at any point and look over the battlefield as though you are one of those six mil figures looking over the battlefield. And that, I think, is what six mil is all about, is that view of the whole size of the battlefield rather than just one little element that you get maybe in, when you're looking at a bigger scale game. Yeah, very much so. The um, so Have you scratch-built this uh, hot air balloon then? Uh, no, it's a, a regular miniatures um, uh, hot air balloon. I was going to ask if it was that, yeah. Um, but what I'm planning on doing is getting some Perspex piping um, and having that attached to the base that comes with the irregular miniatures um, hot air balloon and having it so you can get the extra height with the Perspex, um, uh, Perspex tube. And then, and obviously that will be see-through, so it hopefully won't detract away from seeing something stuck up in the air. It will just be the balloon that will be the main focal point and the camera will be attached to the bottom of the basket. Brilliant, brilliant. I look forward to seeing that. Um, now you've mentioned about the Sudan game being elevated. I've def I definitely saw it. Um, that's just struck the bell. So uh, we've, we all have obviously met in uh, uh, previous times uh, face to face, but not realised it. But um, so uh, the Seven Pines game. What rules are you using for that? Ultra freedom. Oh, good. I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah. No, we're we're very much bought into that. It's a fab. That, uh, we've, we've played a lot of games with it now um, it was easier to collect collect the forces that we needed for each side so um, you know I've got the Confederates Matt, Matt's doing the Federals and you know everything's there isn't it it's ready it's ready to go and it's such a game it's such an easy game to, to teach people and to learn uh, and I think at a show it'll be an easy game to talk to passers-by about as well it, you know 
it, it's such a simple set of rules. In, in fact, I I spoke to um, Greg on on Messenger a few weeks ago because um, I wanted to do a review of it on my on my YouTube. But we'll, we'll come on to that later. But um, and I, I just wanted to ask him if it was all right to, to to do a review on it because I'm I'm conscious I haven't actually seen that many people do do reviews of the of the rules other than Little Wars TV themselves and. Yeah. Um, I think it deserves so many plaudits. It really does. It's a fabulous set of rules. Really, really good. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite sure why that is. That um, it doesn't seem to have that sort of penetration in in the UK. Um, I know people are aware of it certainly, and um, I've seen it mentioned. And if you speak to people who play six mil, then generally they're, they're certainly aware of it as a, a game, even if they they don't play it. But um, I'm not. I'm not quite sure why that is because, like you, I've been completely sold hootline and sinker on on this as a rule set. It seems to be the rule set that I've been searching for for 30 years uh, to play American Civil War games. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, we used to we used to play Fire and Fury many years ago. Um, you know, before that, uh, the only, the only uh, I could say the only American Civil War game that's got anywhere near that in terms of games that I've enjoyed playing has been Longstreet, uh, Sam Mustafa's set, which is very, very good as well. Um, but they're very different types of games. But um, for 6 mil, they, they both work really well. Um, but yeah, Ultra Freedom is definitely our number one uh, number one choice. Uh, I think it's got everything in it. In, and it's, it's, it's very simplified. You know, a, a non-gamer a non could pick it up really quickly. And that, what I, what I always look for in a set of rules now is, you know, is it is it something you could teach uh, a young child really quickly without any complication? And I think Ultra Freedom it definitely hits the sweet spot in that in that regard. Yeah. And it's just the mechanics of it as well, though, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. It it, it brings in that flavour of American Civil so well that you know you know the fact is that you can't just move everything like a lot of rule balls do. You know, there is a bit of jeopardy in there of to obviously how you allocate your points as to whether stuff's going to move or not and things like that which is you know you wouldn't have control over everything so that they're the rule sets that i'm not so keen on when when you have no uh, risk and reward there should we say on no friction yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's i think that is so important i mean i know games nowadays of uh, friction seems to be the big thing and, and i'm i i think that's so important in a war game now uh not being able to do everything you want to do. I think we hear that said quite a lot, don't we? But it, it's it's so true. This game just, you know, the turn clock, it's a, it's a real pain, isn't it? <laughs> it really, it really is. Particularly uh, if you don't control it. it uh, which generally, as a Confederate player, I very seldom do, it seems. Particularly uh, if you roll sixes all the time. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Have you checked his dice, James? I've tried, Sean. I've tried giving him different dice. He still rolls the same. It's uh, yeah. It, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the unique things about Ultra Freedom is the um, the commands structure where the army commanders and corps commanders have got these characteristics haven't they and that can vary from battle to battle so you, you don't have, there's not just one characteristic for jackson say um dependent on his real life performance is how he's graded in the game and he'll be given 
uh, certain characteristics, which will have a huge impact on how uh, he's going to be able to manage his core throughout that game. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I, I, I really like that. Um, you know, because if you read your history, as we, as we all do, we, we know that, you know, commanders were, were better at different engagements, weren't they? Some were good at some engagements and not so good at others. And some of them, you know, their health deteriorated. There are other factors at, at play to why they perhaps weren't as effective as they were in their in their earlier years. So, yeah, I haven't seen that done in any other war game. Uh, rules and 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 it springs to mind that it would work really well with other periods as well uh you know so uh but i, I i'm probably whereas matt's the terrain builder i'm probably the the rules tinkerer so that that's something that's in the back of my mind when i'm when i'm writing house rules that how could how could that be adapted into into rule sets for other periods and i think there is definitely some scope to do that and, and i think because of how simple they're not simplistic but simple rules uh, how simple the rules are it it's really cater it caters for that doesn't it the ability to um put in that odd house rule or to look towards uh diversifying that into, into another period it's not something i've done myself yet but it's certainly something i've considered um doing so i'd be interested if uh, if you do that james and uh, hear about it um the campaigns as well as is, is something i really want to have a go at in the future because there's two campaigns one for the east and one for the west that uh, tie into ultra freedom that uh, little wars tv produced so uh, i'm definitely fancy having a go at one of those in the future um so it sounds like both of you have got a real love um for six mil um do you diversify out? I think Matt, you've already said you've uh, you've done some other scales as well. What what other scales do you both look at and play with? Um, everything. <laughs> <laughs> that was a stupid yeah. question, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> we are we are butterflies, aren't we? We can't help it. The stupid thing is, we have like if you look at World War Two, we have that in six. Well, recently ten as well, fifteen and twenty, um, and I, and I've got twenty eight in it as well. So you know, it, it's not just even different periods in different scales. It's same period, different scales. Um, so yeah, um, very much so. Like I'm sitting right by all of my box of figures here, and you know, there is a fair selection. Um, a large quantity of it is six mil, but there are versions of twenty eight for the skirmish games. Although we've got American Civil War and 28s for, for large battles as well, but um, but yeah, 20s for World War Two, 15 mil Napoleonic, 10 mil. We've just recently all purchased the O Group rules, and we're doing that in 10 mil because we thought, why not? Because we haven't got that scale, so let's let's do that. So. <laughs> uh, I don't know if um, I'm, I'm sure you're both aware of Alex and the Storm of Steel YouTube channel. Uh, I do I do admire how Alex. Uh, sticks to one scale um in the main in 15 mil although he's got his water his uh, waterloo game in six mil but he will adapt whatever rules he's he wants to play uh to use with the 15 mil figures he's got whereas i'm probably a bit like you 
Um, so O Group is very much pulling me towards it at the moment. And I'm thinking, well, could I do it in six mil or would 10 mil be better or even 15s? Um, I, I will, uh, at the drop of a hat, I'll, I'll look at a different scale and different periods. It's, uh, it's a crazy hobby, isn't it, that we're in? Yeah, well, that's what we were thinking, wasn't it? It was, you know, we got six mil for Rommel. Um, I think that was the main driver, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the Rommel, because we got six mil Rommel, I think that's why we felt maybe O Group would be better in a slightly bigger scale. Because uh, obviously Rommel's even even larger in terms of you know the the scale of the unit sizes. We, um, we we play a lot of that. So well, yeah. Although we got that I've in three mil as well. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, you have, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you've done your CV for that as well, I think, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think um, in in terms of scales for me, I mean, we we have dabbled with Saga as well, haven't we? Um, quite quite a lot in the past, but Ancient is probably the period that, alongside American Civil War, that we've done a lot of in in smaller scales, isn't it? Particularly in six mil. Um, and uh, I don't know if you remember, Sean, um, a set of rules that was it's been around a long time now. I think they're out of print. Um, I think it was called Ancient and Medieval Wargaming by Neil Thomas. Uh, yeah, I've got it on the shelf next to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it was, it's a classic, really. But um, that, that was the rule set that we we probably started. We, we, we didn't dabble in Ancients for a very long time, did we, Matt? And um, we kind of suddenly got into Ancients through that rule set and... It's gone from bad to worse, really. <laughs> I don't know how many. I'd like to think how many six mil ancients armies we've now got, um, and and we don't even play that rule set anymore. Although it's a, it's a very readable tome, it's you know. But um, yeah, um, yeah. There, there's lot you know, lots lots of periods that we've got in lots of scales, but we all seem to come back to to sixes. That is that that's definitely our primary scale, I would. say. And I've been, always been at pains to try and get across before now on the podcast that I'm, I aren't a scale snob, certainly, and I, I've had figures in every scale and every period imaginable, and I've probably still got most of them in every period and every scale imaginable, but um, the podcast is here just to promote 6 mil as a as an option, and I think we'd, we'd all agree that it doesn't get the coverage uh, across the hobby media and the social media that uh, the other... Uh, scale scale and particularly 28 mil it, it seems like every youtube channel out there um that's to do with historical gaming is usually black powder uh warlord perry plastics um or, or whatever the latest sexy thing is within the 28 mil hobby um people people are jumping on and there's very little representation out there for the smaller scales um so the, the podcast really was just about obviously balance, trying to rebalance that a little bit. So what um, what rules are you looking at now for six mil ancients? Um, we, we predominantly play uh, to the strongest uh, sword and spear and age of hammer. Um, right. I'd say probably uh, I would say we play TTS more than than any of them, although. I think we probably think Sword and Spear, I, I think I'd be right in saying this, Matt, Sword and Spear is probably our, our ultimate favourite in terms of Ancients rules, but um, we, we pretty much try anything, really. They've all got their 
their pros and cons, haven't they? From, from I, that point of view. I think TTS has become more apparent over this last year and a bit because it, it helps doing it virtually because you've got the grid system. And it's a damn sight easier doing that over a, a, a camera than it is to ask somebody to move something six centimetres this way or six centimetres that way. It's I'll just move it one square forward. So I think it's, that's been ha a lifesaver over this last 12 months, having those type of games that can be played on gridded mats and things like that. So, um, But yeah, I, I would say Sword and Spear is my favourite Ancients rule set. Yeah, it's a set I played myself, and uh, like you, I, well, um, the idea of playing on grids or, or boxes or however you want to describe them uh, certainly reduces that uh, need to get your tape measure out and worry about several millimetres, and over Skype, certainly, it's uh, it's an absolute godsend, isn't it? Um, and I've played a lot of the Peter Pig rules in the past, which are gridded uh, as well, so... Uh, the squares certainly aren't uh, a, a strange concept uh, to me. So what's the big thing at the moment then but in, between the Humwick brothers? What's uh, what's grabbing the attention of you pair um, at the moment? Uh, do you want to go first, Matt? Or, or yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll go first. Um, well, recently for my uh, birthday, I bought myself a 3D printer, which is basically my new toy. Um, yeah. So um, apparently a hobby in itself, isn't it? 3D printing. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I've only printed uh, two war games orientated things so far, but they've both been in 28 just to start at that scale to try to learn how to do it. But um, I backed a Kickstarter recently for the um, Kelly's Heroes buildings. So to to do the whole town square of Kelly's Heroes film. Oh, I saw a picture of these. These are fantastic, aren't they? Those buildings. Yeah. Um. So um. That's going to be my project in the foreseeable months to maybe even try to convert those to ten mil, maybe, so that we can use those as something to play O group over, maybe. Um. But yeah, it's it's again it's serious scenery orientated, but I think it's come on leaps and bounds three D printing, and I think it's the the way it's going to go. Um. I think ideally I could have got a resin printer, which is better for small scale, but I just didn't like the idea of toxic stuff in the house and things like that. So um, that's why I went just for an FDM to start with. But to be fair, the, the, like the prints in 28 I've done are, are superb. They're, you know, these these buildings that this Kickstarter did are absolutely amazing. Um, so the detail on them. Um, but it still won't stop me from buying scenery from uh, other retailers, but it will just be nice to be able to do my own. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I can't remember where I saw this now, but there's a, a news article on one of the hobby news websites about um, colour printing uh, that's coming through Shapeways. I think they're publishing it and developing the the science behind it. But and I spoke to Aaron about this from Project Wargaming uh, a few episodes ago. Um, so it certainly seems like it, it's in development, if not in a sort of finished state yet uh, and perhaps not affordable at the moment but it looks like 3d color printing is not too far away yeah um astounding but if if i go back 10 15, 15 years and you think about the leaps and bounds uh, that it's had is just um incredible I, I honestly didn't think it would ever work but um as per usual um it has enough bought into it so 
<laughs> Technology has a funny way of doing that, doesn't it? It's sort of, it looks like something off Star Trek, and then suddenly we've all got mobile phones, and um, uh, you know, I've no, I've no idea where it's going to end up. To be honest, it's, I think the sky's the limit, isn't it? I do tend to be a bit like this. I like all the new things to test them out and try them out. I was the same with like contrast paints as well. That you know, when I when I first saw them, I, I thought, nah, they're never going to work. I'll I'll keep with my foundry triads, you know, t- tried and tested, and then felt myself just. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'll just buy 10 pots of them, regular colour ones, and I'll, um, I'll test them out. And now I've been converted. It's just the efficiency you get from it is just astounding. Yeah, I, I was exactly the same in that um, I poo-pooed it when they came out. I, I bought a couple on release day, actually, and thought, oh, it's just, it's just like a heavy wash. Um, but now I've got a, a box full <laughs> next to me, and uh, they're they're just uh, as useful part of my painting uh, armory as any any other paint, and uh, better in some instances. I think if you put them with with your normal paints, I, th- I think they're brilliant. They're brilliant as base coats and things like that, and it just helps with that shading. Save you doing three loads of highlights. Um, you know, it's just, it's the same with Agrat's Earth Shade. That's now my number one. Uh, pot to, to go to as well if I'm ever thinking about a wash that tends to be um, again I'd never thought I'd go Citadel for, for paints at all but um, it's surprising how much they draw me in yeah yeah. The, the, the quality certainly improved from those very early days of uh, Citadel paints and the, and the washes which were pretty pretty awful back in the day and then Devil and Mud and Agrox Earthshade came along and it was uh, all bets were off Um James, uh, what's uh, what's tickling your fancy at the moment? Um, well, well, obviously we've got the the War Games project ongoing with with O Group now, so I've got a, a load of figures sitting on my desk waiting to the uh, to be sprayed and then and then painted. Um, I suppose the main thing taking up my time, um, well, a couple of things really. I've been doing a bit more solo gaming um, with with the kind of from the board gaming perspective and 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 kind of led me into making the decision at the beginning of the year to, to go in down the YouTube uh, rabbit hole as well and I, I'd seen so many people trying it um, and you know I'm a big advocate of YouTube I watch I watch it all the time now I watch it more than I do the TV which is yeah. very sad isn't it <laughs> um, it's a lifestyle choice that I very much agree to yeah yeah absolutely and I, I, I just in my own mind I suppose I wanted to share some of my hobby with people but I would also felt uh, board gaming has, has exploded for me in the last five to ten years so many people are are gaming now who aren't necessarily in our hobby and I think uh, maybe maybe it would have been good to blend a, a channel so I've, I've kind of taken the approach you know I'm not I'm not quite up on the technology to the same degree as say Matt is with, with things like 3d printing but what I've done is set myself up a channel at the beginning of the year and I've done quite a, quite a few six mil, two mil kind of showcases, but I've also done board games and, and kind of unboxings and a few reviews through Board Game Geek and things like that. So what I'm trying to do is grab some new people and bring them in and, and hopefully when they're coming in to look at videos on board games that they'll take a look at some of the wargaming ones as well. Um, so I'm trying to see whether we can sort of bring some new people into the hobby really from a from a different perspective where we normally look. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm enjoying that. It's taking up a fair bit of time. Um, 
happening, but I am enjoying that. I'm trying to be consistent and, and, and do one video every week, however small, um, and, and just build it up over a period of time. But I, I'm learning all the time. You know, I'm making mistakes with it, but um, I'm enjoying it, and I'm getting some really nice feedback from people in the community. That's one thing I will say about the whole COVID scenario. I think it has brought our community much closer together than maybe it ever was before. Um, people have taken the time to, to appreciate what you're doing. I think that's really nice to see. Uh, it certainly encourages me, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting hopefully some of these people when when things open up again. You know, get going to the shows. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. Um, and lockdown is virtually all negative, isn't it? The whole impact on uh, our social lives and the restrictions and obviously the, the tragic number of deaths. But I think if, if there's any positive for the hobby to take away from it, it's the community that seems to have got stronger across social media, especially Twitter uh, and, and YouTube as well. And um, I, th I think hopefully going forward that that continues and as you say, the, the support that people get uh, for whatever content that they produce uh, is great. And it really spurs you on, doesn't it, to uh, keep, keep carrying on. Um, just for the listeners, then, what's, uh, what's the name of your YouTube channel, James? OK, so it's, a, it's a bit of a mouthful, but I'll, I'll explain why in a moment. So, uh, it's it's Prasuticus, the Orwell Wargamer. Right. I'll start with the end bit. The Orwell Wargaming is because we're the Orwell Wargames group, so that, that's because we're near the River Orwell. Uh, Prasuticus, for those who know their history, was uh, king. Uh, well, it was Boudicca's husband, king of the Iceni, and because obviously we're in East Anglia, um, that that's link there. But uh, that actually comes from my very young days when I used to do a lot of um, online gaming. I used to play uh, to the Total War games. Uh, there was a very big community in in the old days, and that, and Prasuticus was my was my name that I used on there, and it's kind of just stuck really. Whenever I've done anything uh, on on the computer or, or things like that, I've always used that name. So it was only apt really that um, the YouTube channel had to carry the same name. So it does. And how do you spell that, Prasuticus? P R A S. U-T-A-G-U-S. Right. I shall put a link up to that in the show notes and uh, we'll uh, take a look at it and, and uh, keep supporting it. So it, I think a bit like 3D printing, you, running a YouTube channel and, and absolutely running a podcast is almost a hobby in itself, isn't it? And that um, you need to learn new skills and it takes up time away from the painting and modelling that you would traditionally do within the hobby? Because there's only so much time in the day, isn't there? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and uh, Matt, I'm sure, is chuckling uh, behind the camera here at the moment. But uh, as he knows, I'm a complete technophobe. So for me to learn the skill of, of how to record a video, let alone edit it and put it on YouTube, uh, was, was quite a success for me. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's... It's professional by any means, but um, I've, I've learned a lot this year. I've learned a new skill in lockdown, and um, so, you know, you, you take the positives out of that. But the other thing as well is that, again, you know, when I look around my war games room, I've got 
loads and loads of these lovely board games, war games that I've bought, and I've been itching to play them, and they sit there, and I still keep buying more, as we do. And this was an excuse to make me get them off the shelf and play them. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of helped from that point of view as well. It's kind of focused my mind a little bit on the hobby. And, um, you know, it, it's actually got me doing painting on a more regular basis and the other things that we need to do in a hobby indirectly. Just by having those, those kind of disciplines, um, you know, painting regularly, uh, playing regularly, doing a bit of videoing, a bit of editing here and there. Um, you know, I've got into a, a kind of routine of doing that now. And I think, I think that's, it's, it's, that's a good way of knocking out a fair few things in the hobby as well, uh, projects and things as well. So, I was, I was going to say, that's what I think lockdown has brought to me more than anything else is, is actually realising that you don't need to do long, massive um, periods of painting um, by doing half an hour, an hour a day. Um, it's, it's surprising how much you can, um, you know, chug out, you know, particularly when you're talking small scale stuff, you, you, you know, I, I, I did these 10 mil, I did a unit of um, a platoon for O group the other day in 20 minutes of 10 mil, um, you know, and that's one done and I don't need to do another two and I've got the company done, you know, and it's surprising how much you can chug out, particularly if you stick a podcast on, um, you know, it's surprising how the time yeah, goes. Particular favourites, Matt. <laughs> Obviously yours. Um, oh, yeah, that's very nice of you to say. <laughs> Obviously yours. There's quite a few that I've actually started to listen to, to be fair. And again, like James, with YouTube channels, like um, there's a Monday night one called the Plastic Crack Podcast. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, I watched that, yeah. Yeah, and really I what, I, what I love about it is that, you know, it's just four guys that's been genuine, showing their love for the, the hobby. They've all got slightly different interests, although they, you know, and it, it hits a chord because... You know, one person says something about something, and then the next week they've all gone out and bought it. Um, and it's exactly the same thing that happen, happens in our club and probably every other club. Is as soon as one person talks about it, it's you know you go out. Um, and that was sort of where my three D printing came from. Again, is looking at YouTube channels of of how some of these pieces of scenery that people have produced. And I suppose I was mixed between: do I get a three D printer or do I go the James route and start a YouTube channel? Um, and then I thought about what my name used to be on um, Total War, which is Fred the Barbarian, and thought it probably doesn't have the same ring as what James just does. <laughs> Maybe not the same kudos, I don't know. No, so, um, so that's why I went the 3D print route. Yeah, yeah. That, that, um, that YouTube channel, uh, I think that it's three or four different YouTube channels, isn't it, that like, converge and do this sort of weekly podcast, the Plastic Crack podcast I've, I've absolutely loved uh, watching that over the last few uh, weeks and months so even though it's it, um, they're invariably 28 mil aren't they um, yeah although they've done some victory at sea recently which is um, in theory six mil uh, world war two ships um, one of the guys did have a six mil ACW army but he traded it in for a 28 mil English Civil War which yeah, you know I frowned me um, <laughs> But, pained me as well. Yeah, and so, if you're listening, yeah, um, <laughs> we but, prove. but actually, it's a really good two hours of listening. I don't in in general get to listen to it live on a Monday night, but it's certainly one of those ones that is on my list. That as soon as it comes available, I do uh, obviously listen to. And again, while I'm painting, I can bite size it up to four different painting sessions, and 
and that's the whole thing listened to and I've started to put some of my um, figures on onto their Facebook page to get them obviously added on because they go through everyone's photos that's been uploaded to their Facebook page so that's again a nice nod to all those people out in the war games community as well that they're recognizing those people for their painting efforts so um, it's 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 a good it's a, it's a good um, you did something different I think um, again I listened to Alex's um, in fact I've got about 40 on not notification to tell me when stuff's been uploaded so um, <laughs> invariably uh, either on the exercise bike no exactly in a week uh, you know I've got hours and hours of stuff to listen to and obviously I have to listen to James's ones first and, and like them and, yeah, and comment so <laughs> He's my one. He's my one listener that I get re regularly uh, every week. <laughs> he's the number one fan or the number one critic, though, Matt. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I think you're absolutely right that um, a couple of things there with the the painting, just half an hour or an hour here or there, rather than mammoth painting sessions. It's amazing what you can get done in a week. And and all of these other content producers, I, I'm the same as you. I I, I don't listen. I don't watch uh, very much real TV at all. Um, it's almost always YouTube. Uh, searching for that next uh, hobby uh, YouTube channel or catching up on what Alex is doing. And certainly now James will be on my list. I've just subscribed as we were listening. <laughs> Yeah, so and we'll I'll I'll certainly promote that as much as I can from this end. But um, it, it's it's great that there's so many outlets out there that we can uh, reach into. It's a fairly new medium, isn't it? I think, but it seems to be seems to have a snowball effect at the moment, where there seems to be more uh, every week or certainly every month. There's another YouTube channel or podcast or something for us to engage with whilst we're painting or, or playing so um i think we've got to take that as one of the positives out out of the pandemic yeah definitely the battle reports that people are doing as well is really really good because i say it gives you a really good good flavor of what the rule set is they're using and you know alex has done some good stuff on o group which is which is good so um y you know um and i say one of the guys from plastic crack podcast martin from seventh sun does some brilliant battle reports for um 28 mil napoleonic um using black powder and, and as much as we don't do that it's nice just to to look at and and see and he does all the roses stuff so again it's all inspirational stuff and some of that water of the roses stuff is gorgeous isn't it that he's done um i, I, I don't know if that's towards the, the there's this sort of worldwide project isn't that for water of the roses for a day in in may but um I need to look into that a little bit more and uh, see what that's all about. Yeah, I must admit, I did enter the um, competition they were running to design a vignette for um, War of the Roses. Um, so I did a vignette for um, the route from Towton. Um, so, um, but yeah, yeah so um, I think that closed. Chance to get some snow on the base. Well, exactly. It was nice and uh, fun enough. I used some of Seventh Son Martin's um, white powder that he's always talking about. So, um, I invest in that, and to be fair, that was really, really um, good stuff to represent snow. So much so that I was trying to persuade the guys to do um, O Group um, for Russians to be in the winter, but uh, I got voted. <laughs> yeah. I got I got voted out on that one. We had to go to uh, summer, summer campaign. 
<laughs> well, the more you talk about O Group, and certainly having watched Alex's videos and some of the Lardy uh, videos, I think it won't be long before uh, I crack there and uh, maybe even try and get Dave Brown on, onto the show and, and get him to talk about them uh, at some point in the future. I'd, whenever I hear about the Battle of Towton, I have a, a shiver go up my spine, not not because it was fought in the snow, but the, and this is a very sorry tale. So I hope you've got some Kleenex ready to go because you'll be weeping by the end of it. But many years ago, uh, when Peter Pig first released their Bloody Barons, the original Bloody Barons rule set uh, for the Wars of the Roses, I uh, in the back of the book are the scenarios for all the major battles. And I collected both sides for the Towton game. It's sort of a bathtub version of town and town was huge wasn't it but this is a, a bathtub game that's played on a five foot by three foot table and i don't know there's about 500 figures i think uh, overall on the on the table i took it to a local show in wolverhampton i'm very proud of the fact i've painted all these figures and got a couple of mates to, to play the game with me and um I've, I've got it all set up i'm next to the peter pig stand and speaking to martin goddard he's very happy with it and Give me all the compliments. And a guy walked up to me um, very sniffly and said, oh, I've looked at the bloody barren rules. They're absolutely rubbish. And in any case, uh, I'm doing Towton in 28 mil with 3,000 figures next year. Uh, so this won't really match up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, thanks very much for your support. <laughs> yeah. I spent about 12 months painting up the 500 figures I've got on the table. But there you go. That's a, that's very much a, a, a rabbit hole that we don't want to go down. Um, so <laughs> we're all looking forward to, aren't we, the, the point where this blinking pandemic uh, passes us by and uh, salutes allegedly on for November, isn't it? I think Partizan's uh, coming up in October. What What is it you're both looking forward to most uh, as we come out of these dark times? I think I think for me it's I, I think I could probably speak for all four of us. It's just getting back to to gaming in the way that we want to game. Um, although we although we've enjoyed some gaming over the last year, eighteen months, you know, we've adapted to the scenario. I, th I think getting back to face to face gaming, uh, maybe having a couple of all day games, you know, some meteor games. I think we've got all these all these lovely goodies sitting at home on. We've been buying over the last 12, 18 months. Uh, it's actually nice to be able to get them out in anger and, and play with them now. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, I, I, you know, I, when the time is right, um, yeah, it'd certainly be good to get back to the shows. You know, Partizan is po a possibility this year, but if not, um, certainly next year we'll, I'm sure, be back on the show circuit, um, going to our usual, usual ones there. But... Um, yeah, I think for me, it's getting back to getting back to gaming is is, is so important. Um, you know, I think yeah, we, we're all missing that. Yeah, definitely, I concur with that. Um, if I think about when we first uh, went into lockdown and we discussed how we were going to do war games, and if I remember the first setup we had from our first virtual game, where I had, I think, a step ladder one side of the table, a load of a load of sweet boxes one side, and the cane dangled over the top with my phone attached to it above the table um trying to do a virtual game like that to, to where we are now with being able to do it properly with you know proper tripods proper cameras and things like that 
it, it's been good from that viewpoint. We've we've shown a way that you can do it when you don't need to be present. But there's still something about doing face to face gaming and and the the banter and, and not least the the Wi-Fi not cutting out halfway through and things like that will just be uh, will just be nice just to do an all day game. You know, to sit there and play a game to to the end. Um, you know, will be will be great. So um, hopefully that's not too far around the corner. Whether shows is something that we go to this year, I think is very much a conversation point for for our club. I, th I think I can speak for James on that front. I, I think it'll be more than likely definitely next year that we'll start to, to venture out and hopefully get this Seven Pines game out because I'd, I'd like to be able to um, try it out somewhere. Yeah, well, I don't know if you've spoken to Peter about it for the duo six, but I'm sure he'd be willing to accommodate a, a game like that. Um, I think you've you've touched on it a couple of times there that during lockdown you've you've carried on playing doing some gaming, but over over Skype or over some video format. Um, how, how have you found that as an experience? Other than obviously, by the sounds of it, nearly killing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think it's just allowed us to to keep in touch, hasn't it? And uh, yeah, obviously Matt and I are brothers, but you know we, we we talk outside of war games. But it's allowed us to keep some consistency to our war games nights. Um, you know, we, 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 even if it's a paint and chat, um, you know, talking about the hobby for a couple of hours, chewing the fat. Um, or, or playing a Rommel game or a to the strongest game on a on a gridded mat, it's just enabled us to keep keep up to date, keep 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 improve really, keep going with our with our gaming and, and keep projects ticking over in our minds as well. Um, I think for us the big thing when it started was just how 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 are we going to keep how are we going to keep doing something because we all wanted to and um, we just needed to forward really from that point of view. all I know is that Friday nights tend to cost me money because um, invariably we just <laughs> invariably we discuss something and I end up going searching for it once we've finished um, but but I think James touched on there I think the painting painting chats we've been been doing has been really good from uh, as well you know the fact is that it's given us that emphasis to sit down and, and paint and there's sometimes on a Friday that I feel I really don't feel like painting tonight, but actually because we're doing that, I've sat down at my table, got got everything out to paint, and actually been able to paint and not really thought about it because we've been having chat while we were going on. So, um, yeah, beneficial there. Uh, I'd also say that it's allowed us to play not just gritty games. We we even had a game of Ultra Freedom. Um, yeah, we did. Yeah, and actually, actually, the fog, the fog of war that that brought, because they couldn't work out <laughs> what, who, whose was what troops, was was brilliant. It brought a whole new dynamic to, to the game. Um, um, so yeah, um, it's probably given us a, a way forward as to maybe even think about doing some of this this going forward when even when we can do face to face stuff. So um, so yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting point, and I can't think I spoke to about this before, but it does create, uh, playing over Skype creates that almost fog of war experience where you haven't got that perfect view of the battlefield that you have when you stand over it. Um, you've only got the view that you've shown down the camera by the game host, haven't you? Where um, And the game host can play uh, play that up really uh so you don't know there might be reinforcements coming around on a flank unless you've got scouts out there or a unit that can actually see it so i think that's really interesting concept 
Yeah, I was game host, so I was like that because again, they didn't want me to be rolling um, sixes for the game. They thought it'd be too one side. <laughs> so I hosted. So you'll mess with them in another way. <laughs> but but it was very much like that. That they could see that they were, there was cavalry over their side, but they couldn't tell you what it was or even that it was cavalry until it got closer to the camera and things like that. So you know, uh, it brought, a, I say, a really good emphasis to the game and made it probably even more difficult than what it is when it's face to face. So. In respect then of hobby projects going forward, it sounds like O Group uh, is on the cards. Is that for both of you? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's one of one of many, isn't it? One of many on the uh, on the on the on the line at the moment. I, I, I mean, we adhere to um, Walls of the Roses. Um, never mind the bill hooks. We've been putting together some forces for that to have a go at that. Um, so that looks quite an interesting. Um, game, but we've been, we've been doing a lot of six mil um, English Civil War as well. Um, so we've been painting up a fair bit of that, and that actually has just come to my mind. There's another game that we've played quite a lot, early part of lockdown, wasn't it, Matt? With um, for King of Parliament. So we um, we we used the cards from the scenarios as well as uh, figures, and they worked really well. Uh, again, with a camera over the top, and we've had some really interesting games with that. So. Yeah, we're still we're still sort of collating uh, and putting together armies for that as well. Um, but yeah, there's this it's ongoing ongoing things. Red um, Mountain, although I painted lots, seems to have still got bigger. I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> <laughs> That's strange, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. Really a phenomenon. So <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've got on top of that as what James said. I've got ten mil Numidians here for. An age of Hannibal army, so decided rather than doing it in 28, we're going to try to do it in 10s. That <laughs> so, um, that's sitting here as well. So, but I've also found myself just painting not weird stuff, but stuff that I haven't even got an army for. Like, um, I know on my Christmas list, I just asked for the 28 mil um, war elephants from Victrix just because, again, I saw Seventh Sun paint one up and I thought they're a nice model, they'd be nice to paint. And I got them and I've painted one of them up just, just for something different. And I think that just helps with burnout. And that's why I like doing different scales. As much as I would go back to 6mm, to paint your 28mm figure here and there or your 10mm figure, it's just something that little bit different so it doesn't become monotony of just painting the same same way on a 6mm figure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, 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 I actually went completely the opposite way, didn't I, um, a few months ago. And decided to paint up a load of two mil uh, <laughs> um and that was a, that, that that was a bad decision with my eyes to be honest but um but uh yeah so i've, I've, I've sort of painted up two uh 30 years war uh armies in in two mil and uh, that's a game we're hoping to do over skype uh in the next few weeks hopefully so um we're going to try either nick Durrell's um rules um, Twilight of Sun King or um, Dio Veritas is another set we've, we've bought into recently which is for oh, six yeah and that um, looks a really interesting set of rules um, with some nice mechanics in there again uh, what was that called again sorry James uh, Dio Veritas uh, Hellion Hellion War it's Hellion's first uh, war game rule set um, so if you go on their website, you'd, you'd be able to find it on there. And there's a lot of um, free scenarios and, and free support uh, pieces with it as well. So, um, 
yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice, very nicely produced book, um, and hoping to give that a, give that a run out at some point as well. So that covers English Civil War as well. So um, we've got a bit of crossover there on on rule sets, which is quite helpful. Yeah, I think that um, because I've been painting six mil fairly constantly now for the last five or six months. Um, I've, similar to yourselves, I've had the odd branch out into some 28 mil fantasy, and it, it really does cleanse the palettes, doesn't it? Sometimes because particularly painting my American Civil War stuff, it's it's pretty monotonous painting Union after Union after Union. Oh yes, oh, I definitely um, agree with that. <laughs> as, as much as I've enjoyed the process, um, it, it's good to just test yourself out on something else and something really interesting there Matt actually that I've not really considered before but just buying something like that Vitrix ele Elephant just for the sake of it because there's no way I would ordinarily buy a Vitrix Elephant because I wouldn't ever think I'd be using it but if I was to buy it just to build it and paint it and have it as a piece of my collection well that, that opens up a hell of a lot of stuff doesn't it yeah, yeah, um, and as I say I've done that with a, a few, few bits like again the twenty eight mil World War Two. I, I bought some unpainted stuff off eBay and I've just got it here. It's all primed and ready, and as and when I feel like it, I'll just pick it up and paint maybe five you know, in an evening just to to break out from the. You know, every scale has a different painting technique in in my mind. Six yes. mil has a yeah, different one to 10 and 15 and 28 and just to be able to change that technique and do something a little bit different um and i say with 28 mil contrast paints come into their own on on that side of things so again it's it's not about spending hours and hours and hours doing it it is just getting a bit of fruit for your labor should we say and you know maybe painting up a, a unit in a, in a week and to be fair, I don't, I don't often sell a lot on eBay, but you know, when it comes to a point, I might just stick on eBay and sell it and reinvest it into something else that's tickled my fancy at that moment in time. Uh, and again, that tends to be how um, a lot of the time I fund the hobby is by doing that. Yes, and uh, it, I mean eBay is a wash, isn't it, with um, war games. Um, Nirvana, really. I, I, this very rarely I go on there and don't see something I, I wouldn't mind. And I've uh, I've done my fair share of selling on there in the past, absolutely. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so, the, you think then the hobby is in a good place post uh, pandemic? Do you think it's it's going to survive and continue as it was, or do you think you will see differences uh, once the shows get back on the scene? I, I, I personally think the hobby's in a really strong place. Um, I know we hear a lot of doom and gloom and, and, and the greying of the hobby is used an awful lot. And uh, I am going grey, so I'm probably in that category. Um, I, I actually think the hobby's probably in the best place it's ever been. Um, I think the choice of, of games, of rule sets, of figure ranges is, is phenomenal. You know, things are... A wash aren't they there there is so much out there yes um there is a challenge i think in, in and there always will be a challenge in getting new people into the into the hobby but when you look at the work that people like little wars tv are doing and and, and all of us are doing indirectly now we're very aware of that and I, I think as a community there is a lot going on to try and encourage new people to come in and and and, and get involved with a hobby so i'm hoping when the show's start um 
yes, people will still do all the things that we've been doing, you know, with YouTube and online gaming, but I'm hoping also that it might encourage some new people to go and have a look at those shows. Um, and I, I think think maybe some of the shows need to pitch themselves in a slightly different way to try and attract a new a new audience as well. Um, something I've been very conscious of for a few years. I know at our club we've talked about this for years, going to shows, and I know, Sean, you've said this, that, you know, you go to a show and you, you walk around a table where a game's been put on and nobody talks to you or nobody engages with you. Um, or if, if they do, they, they don't seem very pleased to want to speak to you. You know, I think I think we have a responsibility to change that, and um, yeah, but but I think the hobby overall is in a in a really good place, and um, I, I just hope it continues to go the way it's going. I think it's heading in the right direction at the moment. Yeah, yeah. You feeling the same, Matt? Um, very much so. I, I I think as we've already alluded to already, I think YouTube has, has taken it in a completely different level because I think it's made, made it more ac access to maybe the younger clientele, um, more appealing. Um, it's been obviously out there. Um, and again, because people have been at home for about the last 12 months and not really a lot else to do, they might have even fallen into it by just trawling um, that online stuff and YouTube and be into it. I think, again... 3D printing, I think, will open it up to, to those creative guys. They don't even need to like war games. It, it might just fill some juices to be able to design and, and make stuff. Um, you know, you can print armies if you've got a resin printer, 6 mil, 2 mil, as um, Project Wargamer has done. So, you know, it, it makes it somewhat... Obviously, you've got the, the expense of paying out for the 3D printer, but, you know, it, it certainly makes it a lot cheaper going forward. Um, I also think if you look at all the... The major companies, you know, if you look at backers having to close down because of the sheer weight of orders and things like that, that just probably sings out the fact is that there's some retailers out there that have had an absolute boom, not only by, the, you know, impacted by the fact that they haven't been able to work, which obviously reduced the amount of people, but I think the sheer volume of orders um, they're getting. Um, and I think people will have a whole load of stuff sitting there that needs to be painted, but they'll still go out and buy more. Because um, that's just what a Wargamer does. And rule sets will, will determine that. I think any new rule set, you know, if the um, Lardies continue, obviously, um, doing their rule sets every now and then, that will draw people out to um, to buying more stuff. I think the more plastic evolves, uh, again, I think, you know, if, if this epic stuff from Warlord takes off, then... Yeah, you could see obviously other major eras being done that way, like Napoleonic. I'm sure they're probably toying with. Um, but you know, I, I like the ethos of it getting down to epic. But again, I think you can you can take it further. But but for me, I think it's as strong as it ever has been, and I, I think um, it's a good place, and it's just about building on it from now on. And I think the shows will do that. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I don't think the hobby has ever been in such a, a strong position as it is now. Um, and to a certain extent, with the social media out there, with the Twitter and Facebook, we're all content producers, aren't we? If, if we put our pictures up there or post our videos on, up onto YouTube um, or, or talk about wargaming across Twitter, then we're all doing our bit to highlight the the joys of this hobby 
and he can only be good for bringing more people in, I think, from the, the curious people. Because I, I, I certainly think there's a, a portion of society that just don't know Wargaming exists, and if they did, they'd love it. Yeah, and I think you make a good point there about social media as well, because I, I think before lockdown, I was probably a, a, a great believer, wrongly, I'd like to say, um, in the... I, I wouldn't be bold enough to post any of my stuff that I've painted or any of our games because, you know, when you see some of these show games, um, when you go to the shows, they're just on a different scale. You know, they've had thousands and thousands invested in them. You know, ours doesn't compare to that. But actually, lockdown has sort of forced that in that social media has been an avenue just to obviously contact other people in the hobby and actually as james alluded to earlier on the the community is so embracing of, of stuff you know I've, I've put stuff on that i haven't necessarily particularly thought uh, I've, i haven't painted that as well as i could have done I'm, I'm a bit disgruntled with it but then you get some really really good feedback from people and you think oh, okay well you know maybe it's just me and my over the top high standards of thinking that everything needs to be perfect and and i am one for that that i have to have things to to look perfect and and that's the same with with games and it all goes down to that it's got to look perfect and i'd rather spend an extra hour setting something up just to make it look right than um, just putting anything down um, i'm a firm believer do you know sean, do you know, sean we do that we do that on purpose when we're playing games with matt we'll um when he sets the table up, we'll we'll turn a building around the wrong way on purpose when he's not looking, because we know it will trigger him, and it does every time. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Uh, if uh, if I uh, see your Seven Pines game on anywhere, I'll, I'll try not to fiddle too much <laughs> while you're not looking. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Where we judge ourselves against some of the luminaries in the hobby and particularly to show like partisan where you've got the Perry twins or Dave Andrews and Ali Mari, or you've got the, the guys who put on some of these huge displays and you think, how can I measure up to that? But my experience, other than that one experience of that 50 mil Towton from the 12 years ago now, that's probably the only one time when I've had a negative comment for anything that I've either shown online or shown as, uh, as a gamer to show. I think generally we are a welcoming and all-encompassing hobby, aren't we? Um, we get the odd internet warrior, I suppose, uh, sometimes when people uh, feel very brave and will make comments that they would never make uh, to somebody's face. They'll, they'll do it over a keyboard. But it, invariably, 99.9% .9 of the hobby is very supportive of each other and whatever your endeavour is, and whether it's in a period that you're not interested in or they're not interested in, or a scale that they don't play, I think um, it, it's generally very supportive and, and welcoming. Yeah, I agree. I must admit, it re reminds me of a, a... I can't remember what YouTube channel, again, because I've watched so many, but there was a, somebody on there that said that they'd posted something on a on a Facebook site and they'd had some really positive feedback and everyone really liking it, other than one person who told them that he used the wrong colour gold on the buttons. <laughs> I saw that. Oh, oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness me, yeah. And that, that happened actually at my club now. You've, you've just reminded me. I painted some uh, 25mm hovels buildings, uh, the Russian ones for a Napoleonic game, uh, for a friend. And a, 
back at my old, uh, at the old venue of our club, we were split up in several rooms. We were almost like little separate clubs, I suppose. But a guy from another room came in and said I'd painted the Thatcher wrong, the wrong colour on this Russian building. I thought, well, did you know it's for the 130 years? <laughs> wrong colour, Thatch. Uh, anyway, uh, gentlemen, it's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you. And a, a bit like I think you've met, you've both mentioned about your paint and chat on a Friday night. I think as war, when wargamers get together, you can just sit and talk endlessly, can't we, about this hobby? There's, there's, we very rarely run a subject matter, and I'm sure we could probably go on all night. But um, I'm going to ask you both now uh, two things uh, as we come towards the end of uh, the actual interview. So there's two requests that I make of every guest uh, that appears on the show. The first one's relatively easy, and that's that you both promise to come back on the show at some point in the future. Sure, will. Absolutely. Loved it. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I'm now, now you're podcast veterans, and uh, it should be a lot easier in the future. <laughs> uh, and secondly, of course, it's um, to fill the shelves of the Godzilla Scale virtual library, and I'm hoping uh, you've both got at least one deposit to make on, on the shelves, so I'll come to you, James, first, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've got a couple, if that's okay, Sean. Um, but the first one um, is a book by uh, Philip Thomas Tucker. Uh, it's the true high tide of the Confederacy at Gettysburg, uh, Barksdale's Charge. I picked this one particularly. It was, it's actually a book um, owned by one of my colleagues at the club. And um, I think it's such an understated um, story, really, because this happened, obviously, prior to Pickett's Charge, which everyone knows about. And actually, it was so close uh, to being successful. And the Battle of Gettysburg would have ended uh, with that one charge if it, if it had been supported. And, and this book is written in, in an engrossing way that once you start reading it, you won't be able to put it down. Um, and it's a real eye-opener to some of the challenges of command at the battlefield of Gettysburg so I'd highly recommend that one well that one is obviously right up my street being on the, on the scene was yeah. um, was that on the 2nd of July box sales charge yes yes yeah yeah the second day I believe so, yeah. so that's really interesting isn't it that uh, we would never have heard of uh, Pickett if, if that had succeeded no no definitely not and um, you know he's very very close to succeeding if he'd have been if he'd had had support at the critical moment then that charge could have ended the battle uh, in, in its steps so uh, interesting read that one uh, and the second one's a completely different subject uh, Ghost into the Desert by uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Snook um, this is about the Mardist uprising uh, 1881 to 85 and um, I've got several of his books uh, he's travelled the battlefields in Sudan um, got fantastic photographs where he's um, We'll put over the over the top where the tree deployments and things were. All the major battles are covered. Um, some lovely artwork from the Perrys in there as well. I think it was actually Perry Miniatures where I bought the book from uh, originally. Uh, but I, I used that when I was putting together my Sudanese uh, campaign armies, and it was a valuable source. So I'd highly recommend that one as well. That that is a glorious book, isn't it? I've got I've got that one on my shelf. It is just. It's one of the favourite books on the shelves, and the Sudan isn't uh, a, a core period interest for me, but 
is just a wonderful book to just to flick through, isn't it? It's just yeah. full of wonderful pictures. Yeah, it's 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 one of those you pick up when you've got nothing to do, and 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 you still find yourself reading and looking at the same things you've read over many times before. But it, it's one of those. Yeah, it's a it's a great book. It's great. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. Well, they, those two books will definitely take pride of place, and as soon as the interview's over, I'll be on to Amazon for the uh, <laughs> the high tide of the Confederacy books. Yes, yes you know, you know, you talk, um, I think Matt, you were saying uh, your Friday night chats generally cost you money. Uh, these podcasts generally cost me <laughs> the number of books I end up buying. Um, have you got something for us then, Matt? I, I do, and interestingly, James and I hadn't spoken about what books we, we were going to choose. No, we haven't. Um, um, and it's uncanny that I've also gone one from the American Civil War era, and I think this is the Bible when it comes to particularly Gettysburg, um, and I love everything about Gettysburg and, and would aspire one time to do a six mil Gettysburg, particularly Pickett's Charge. I've, I've always wanted to do it. Um, again, probably been beaten down by other members of the club not to do it, um, but, but I'm, I'm secretly doing it on the side anyway. So um, <laughs> well, It sounds like you stand a chance of winning, Matt, with your dice roll. Eh? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but I, I actually went for the Gettysburg Companion by Mark Adkin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, It... For me, it's the one book that I keep keep going back to. Um, and invariably, when I look at my bookshelf and go, oh, um, I just feel like looking at something in Wargames or Untitled, what should I look at? That's the book that I always tend to go to because for some reason, every time I go to it, I, I see something new. And yet I've had it for, for years. Yeah, I still keep on new stuff and it keeps me taking in directions. The amount of army lists I've written off the back of that book and... You know, bits of scenery I've needed and, you know, the amount of stuff I've bought that's just been sat in the box for ages waiting to be painted and things like that. So, for me, that is my, my go-to book. Um, it was very close. There, there was a couple of other ones in there uh, around, uh, obviously, uh, Bridge Too Far and things like that and Frost um, there and uh, also the Sharp series of books, which is back to my youth of my first real books in relation to what you call war games unfortunately the tv series ruined it but hey um um sharp compendium is a is an amazing book isn't it have, yeah. you, have you have you seen that sean no i haven't seen that no that's a fantastic book eh? right because uh, it kind of links real life campaigns in the peninsula to 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 the books themselves so um you can kind of see where the storylines come from and it's it's got some great scenario um, information in there for wargaming. So, I, I, I have to make a confession. Actually, um, I've literally in the last oh, when was it now? It's probably two days ago. I finished reading my first ever sharp novel. Um, for some reason, I've, I've no idea why, but I've, I've read almost everything else Bernard Cornwall has written, but I've never been drawn to read the sharp. Books, and I think that's probably because of the TV series, or or certainly some of them. I think that there's quite a few good episodes of Sharp, but I think Sharp's Waterloo was probably oh. too much for me. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was just too much. Uh, I mean, it's it was like a 28 mil war game, wasn't it? Twelve blokes walking, taking a flat for a walk. As Peter was but, but the book is nothing like that, and I I, I actually quite like the book. Um, Sharp's Waterloo so I'd certainly suggest that being a good read um, and try to 
disregard everything that happened in the TV series. <laughs> well, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it actually. It's been uh, so. I it's it was the one set around the Battle of Talavera um, on a current Sharp's Eagle. There Eagle. You go. Yeah. Yes, uh, really good, really enjoyed it. I, I've, I've no idea why I've left it for so long, but um, that Gettysburg Companion, it, again, that's another one that's on the shelves alongside. Have, have you seen the Waterloo Companion and the Trafalgar Companion? I do have both of them, yes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I think I think most wargamers' bookshelves probably are very similar on <laughs> over the years. Particularly if you're ever a member of the uh, book club back in the day, where you could buy five books for oh yeah, and, and then you'd leave, wouldn't you, for six months <laughs> and then take up another offer? But um, I think when I get round to do my Ultra Freedom Gettysburg game, that that Gettysburg companion will be uh, a constant companion as I. Uh, set the table up for that but particularly uh, yeah. if you're looking at looking at things like the topography of the ground and things like that which is uh, again something that i i tend to look at but you know I, I try not to ever make our battles on flat ground because invariably they they weren't even if there was a little bit of slope and rise i know when we did a i'm going off topic a bit here but we did a um six mil ramillies game um fears i can't remember what size table was it james that we did it on yeah, 12, 12 by six, I believe. Twelve, twelve yeah, by six, big. and literally, yeah. I I got the topography of the of the um, map and actually built them up in polystyrene tiles and actually shaped each hill as it as it was, and then had that underneath the the mats. And actually, that as as much as we probably could have maybe made the the um, should we say table a little bit smaller, it probably looked a little bit better. Just the enormity of it and just all the undulations just i think from then on i've always suggested that we always have at least some curvature to the ground because it makes a hell of a difference to to how it looks to the naked eye and were you throwing a um a cloth over the top of that then or yeah that, a sculpted back, table no back in back in that day we were just using uh blankets long it was long before these decent mats came along whereas now unfortunately um that's set me back a few pounds as well um <laughs> I think I've got every mat known to man, um, as well as tiles, um, use the Calistra stuff as well, that I know um, Dan from Rivali obviously swears by, but we've got some of that as well. Um, but you the gaming mats... You could probably do a podcast on it, couldn't you? A full <laughs> just on terrain mats. Well, well, let's maybe get you back on to talk about that. Because <laughs> it it's something that I've... Um, uh, they seem to have become ubiquitous in the hobby now, don't they? The terrain map companies that you can have such fantastic looking um, mats laid over a contoured table as opposed to the two foot square TSS tiles as I used to use back in the day, or just a plain green felt cloth. Yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I've got sculptured um, tables as well. Like um, we did a show game, uh, a show in Kent. I can't remember even the name of it. We did. Um, we called it Heroes of Hugemon, and it was just a six mil version of Hugemon on its own um, table. And again, just literally played played that, and that was all on sculptured, uh, two massive tiles. Um, and again, for its time and place, it, it looks a treat, but you can't beat a, being able to have a mat like that for a Friday night game where you just need it for a couple of hours. It's brilliant. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's so many good quality ones out there, aren't there, at the moment? Definitely. You know, Geek Villain, Tiny War Games. Even um, I've ordered ones from um, the States and Killing Fields. Uh, yes. Are they the sort of teddy bear fur ones? Well, I haven't got the teddy bear fur one. I keep looking at that and wish I'd ordered that at the same time as the static grass one that I ordered but um, to save on postage. But, um, yeah, I got the static grass one. And and for American Civil War, that was, we did an all-day game just before lockdown, funny enough, um, on that. And it looked really, really good because, um, as I say, it's got its own static tufts and grass on it and coincides with big bases really, really well. Yes. Yeah, um, I'll have to have a look at that. So that's Killing Fields, is it? Yes. Yeah, they do. A stat- it's called Static Grass, I'm pretty sure, is the second version. I'll, I'll look it up, and if I place an order, we'll go halves on the ship, and you can get your teddy bear for it. Sounds good to me. <laughs> good idea. Good idea. <laughs> uh, right, gents. Um, again, thanks so much for giving up your time. Uh, it's been some time in the making, actually, hasn't it? It's a bit like most of these podcasts, actually, uh, where I get a long list of people, and then uh, we eventually get around uh, to speaking to you. But um, it's been fascinating uh, to speak to you, and it is a genuine offer uh, to come back on the show again at some point in the future, maybe once we're out of lockdown and uh, talking about your Seven Pines game and, and the development of that and some scenery. That would be really good, uh, as a, I'm an absolute Civil War nut, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, I hope it's not been too painful for either of you. Not at all. No, I've really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. And, yeah, I'd love to, love to come back and yeah. – Seven pines in due course. That'd be great. Excellent. Um, it's uh, I, I do find I, I go easy on first time uh, visitors to the podcast, and then I, I, I throw the low ballers in on the second visit. Catch <laughs> <laughs> you off guard. But uh, thanks, James. Thanks, Matt. And uh, hopefully, I'll speak to you again at some point in the future. Thanks, Sean. Sure.